Hello. Uh, thank you for joining us today. It's so good to be worshiping together. Uh, I know we'd rather all be in the room together, but by staying home, you are literally saving lives. And I'm proud of you and grateful for that sacrifice that you're willing to make. Uh, and I just pray that soon we'll have the conditions where people are healthy and we can regather safely. We're worshiping all over the place and at different times. Wherever you are, just know that the Holy Spirit is with you, and, uh, and it's good that uh, we have a sense of being together. Take a moment, if you can, fill out a Connect card. Do that every week. Just lets us know that uh, you know, we're here. The community of Jesus is strong and still worshiping him and uh, joining him in his mission to reconcile all people. You know, when I was a child, I looked up from my mother's knee one day and found out that Actually, it was not my mother, that these legs did not belong to her. There's somebody else that I was holding on to. I was following a stranger. I don't know really how it happened. I was at a street fair of some kind, and I guess I was just looking at this or that and uh, kind of lost track of where I was in a sea of legs and just followed the wrong pair. And it uh, took a little while for me to realize. Uh, I looked up, and oh, my gosh, no. I was horrified. In crisis, I realized I'm totally lost now, and I'm separated from my parent. I wonder if any of you young people have ever had an experience like that. Well, St. Paul tells us that it happens to adults as well. He tells us that everybody's following something. We're going somewhere, but we don't always pay attention or ask the question, who or what is leading me? Where am I going? Will I want to get there when I do? But these are the questions of Lent. It's questions like these that Noah asked for 40 days of rain in the ark. Questions like these that Moses asked on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Questions like these that Israel asked for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Questions like these that Jesus asked under temptation in the desert for 40 days. And these are questions that that we ask as we celebrate Lent that, begins, uh, that began last Wednesday. Who or what is leading me? Where am I going? And will I want to get there when I do? Lent is a 40-day period of preparation for Easter. It's a season of awareness and meditation. It's a season of turning turning from things that are taking me places that I don't want to go and turning to the one who always leads me towards abundant resurrection life. That's Lent. So um, I invite you to join us for these six weeks and to reflect on these questions. You know, uh, if you know anything about Jesus, you probably know that he called people to follow him. But anyone who followed Jesus had also to unfollow other things. Peter, he says, follow me. And the fishermen had to unfollow the fish of the sea. Levi, follow me. And the tax collector had to unfollow his get-rich-quick scheme. Simon, follow me. And the zealot had to unfollow his partisan politics. Matthew, or Mark rather, um, tells us in, in eight, chapter 8, 34 through 36, that Jesus calls us all to follow him. So what about you? Follow me, Jesus says to you. 
and to say yes, what will you need to unfollow? Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, uh, uh, Mark says, Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said, and Jesus said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? It's hard to understand, but these are the way things work with Jesus. With him, there's no gaining without losing, and there's no losing without gaining. With him, there's no dying without living, and there's no living without dying. There's no following without unfollowing. You know, in the text that we've just been reflecting on, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, St. Paul tells his friends in Ephesus that there are some things that we all need to unfollow, common things, if we're going to follow Jesus. The text frames Paul's message with the language of walking or following, which is actually in the Bible a metaphor for life. You walk through life in the Bible. And we see this in verse 2 where it says you once lived. It literally says you walked. And then again in verse 10 where it says um, our new way of life, it literally reads walk in a new way of life. It's walking. We're following and he, and he elaborates on three particular influences that all of us need to unfollow if we're going to follow Jesus because the, these three influences will take you somewhere where you don't want to go. He tells us in verse 2, you were following the course of this world. You were following the ruler of the power of the air. And he says in verse 3, we, we all of us were following the desires of flesh. These are the pant legs, right? Uh, these are things we didn't really know they were there. We didn't know there were factors in our lives. We might not even believe that they exist at the moment. And yet Paul is saying, you know, as you're bumping along through life, making your choices, doing what seems to be the best thing to do, you're actually following. There's no such thing as a neutral place simply to stand. You're going where others are going. You're going with what seems to be right. You're going where you want to go. And it feels familiar. It feels right. It feels good. But Paul's saying, would you stop for a moment and look up the metaphorical pant leg and see who you're following? Because this is not your mom. And this person or thing will not take you where you want to go, ultimately where you really want to go, or where it's good to go. So what are these three influences? We could call them dark influences that we all follow. Well, let me put it this way. Something around me that pulls me away from Jesus, something above me that pulls me away from Jesus, and something within me that pulls me away from Jesus. Let's see this in the text. Something around me that pulls me from Jesus. This is what Paul calls the course of this world. Now, when he says that world, he's talking about this present age as opposed to the age to come. 
He's talking, therefore, about the world, not the way God made it or meant it to be, and not the way it will be when God has made all things new. This present age, the world. Something above me that pulls me from Jesus. He says, the ruler of the power of the air. Now, apparently he's talking about a spiritual adversary, about a personal agent of evil. There isn't a lot about this person in the Bible as much as people commonly think, but, but this is referred to in the Bible as occasionally the devil or Satan, the ruler of the power of the air, something above me that pulls me from Jesus. And then thirdly, there's something within me that pulls from me from Jesus. Paul calls it the flesh. Now, let's be very careful here. He's not talking about our physical bodies or our physical existence, which are good things. When he says the flesh in this context, he's talking about the sinful nature. It's that part of us, the self that is curved in upon itself, as Martin Luther says, the self in rebellion against God, the self that somehow seems to want to be our own God. So see what Paul's saying here. He's saying to his readers in Ephesus, the outcome of your life was inevitably, inexorably shaped and guided by three influences. What through ancient liturgy we've come today to call the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then I like this part. He says, not just you. He says, all of us, in verse 3. All of us. Making it clear, Paul's talking about the human condition. But for modern people, this raises a question, and maybe, maybe it raises the question for you, which is, is this true? Right? Is this true? And I'm guessing, um, well... Is it true that we all make choices about our path in life, but that we always, by ourselves, choose the wrong path? That's, that's the claim. And you probably won't believe that just because they believed it back then, you know, 2,000 years ago. Uh, we tend to have what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, you know, which is the idea that um, we're smarter than people who lived a long time ago just because we have the good sense to be born now and not when they did, chronological snobbery. So we don't tend to believe things that ancient people believed just because they did. And you you might not believe it just because I, as a preacher, tell you that the Bible says so. Um, We don't have a lot of regard for authority in our culture these days, unless it happens to be Dwayne Johnson or Michelle Obama. Um, No. Um, But it seems to me that we do believe things like this in the modern era, right? I mean, we do believe in the power of influences to shape our choices. For example, we believe in the influence of genetics or biology. Um, An addict suffers from a disease. We understand that. Uh, Depression. Uh, is the deliverance of a chemical imbalance oftentimes. We understand the influence of genetic or biology. We also understand the influence of environment 
um, when we've experienced abuse or trauma in our past, we, we expect that there will be patterns of behavior that would be hurtful, hurtful to us and to others. Then whether it's nature or nurture, we now understand that there are in the brain neurological pathways that promote or reinforce deeply destructive choices. So there are influences uh, around us and within us that we do follow. I love the story, I've told you this before, I read in the New York Times about a waiter in Canada who sued his restaurant for what he called cultural discrimination because I mean, they had fired him for being rude to the patrons and he, he argued in court, come on, I'm French. Everybody knows that French waiters are rude, right? What is he saying? I'm just following kind of my heritage. I'm just following the, the culture around me. Um, just you can't, you can't fire me for that. And so I don't know if we believe this. Do we, do we believe this? Do we want this to be the case? I know I, I know I resist it. I can remember when I was in my 20s and I was with my now wife, Anne, and we were talking about where will this relationship lead us? Where will it take us, you know, if we dig in? Because we were engaged and pulled over on the side of the road in my VW bus and having this deep conversation one night. And some, we'd, Somebody had said, one of our friends, you know, um, I don't want to become my father or I don't want to become my mother. And we were thinking about that and we were thinking and we were talking, you know, what are, the, what are the things that you learned about marriage from your parents? What are the, what are the things that they did that are really good? And, and, and we, we should learn from them and try to make that a part of our life. And then on the other hand, what are some things that were dysfunctional in your family that I don't want to do that, I don't want to say that, I don't want to become that? And what we're doing is kind of, we're, we're, there was some fear in that conversation about will we get pulled back into the dysfunction? Is there something, it's been something around us, you know, in our upbringing, or is there something inside of us that kind of makes this inevitable? So we were trying to be intentional to kind of unfollow some of those things, to resist some of those things, and to move in a different way. And so in the midst of fear like that, I find it so compelling that the Apostle Paul after describing the ways that, that all of us are inexorably pulled towards bad choices. He says, but God. You go, this is, the, these are the, this is where, I mean, in two words, everything changes. But God, he says. And I'll, let me tell you, let me tell you why Paul believes these things it's because he's looking at Jesus. Notice how the apostle superimposes the story of Jesus on the story of his life. See how he does this. And here's how I'll get at it with you. Think for a second with me. Uh, who was it who was dead and then who was made alive, raised, and seated in the heavenly places? Who was that? Okay, I mean, I'll give you a hint. You're in church. Jesus. Right, Jesus was the one who died and rose again. But look at the pronouns. Okay, I'm gonna do my English major geek thing with you for a minute. Look at the pronouns in what Paul writes. He says, you were dead. 
then, but God, those two great words. And then he says, but God made us alive together with Christ so that we might walk. Oh my goodness. See, see the, the dying of Christ, the rising of Christ, the walking of Christ in new life. That's the story of Jesus, but it's the story of our lives, Paul's saying. He's reading the story back into our lives. If Jesus' life came out of dying, he's thinking to himself, I bet we were dead. Not physically, but spiritually dead. I bet that's our original condition. Captive to the same forces that Jesus confronts in his life, death, and resurrection. By the way, can I just pause and say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. There's, there's confusion about this. To follow Jesus does not mean to follow a set of rules, like a different set of rules. In the Old Testament, they had their rules, and now we have our rules. And It's not following new rules or old rules or any rules at all. To follow Jesus means to read the story of Jesus back into the story of your life. That's why our first value at UPC is living gospel-centered lives. A, a, a follower of Jesus is somebody with a gospel-centered life, somebody who is moving the gospel to the center of their lives, somebody who's moving from unbelief to belief in every area of their life. This is what discipleship is. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul gets that. He's doing it because he's had this encounter with a risen Christ, and now he's, he's going, everything about that tells me everything I need to know about the world I'm living in and about myself as his follower. The cross and the empty tomb. The cross tells him about what we were following. He sees the depth of the human crisis in the cross. I mean, if God had to do this in, in Christ if God had to overcome the world on the cross, if God had to mortify and recreate human flesh on the cross, if God had to disarm the power and judge the devil on the cross, it must be because we were following the world, the flesh, and the devil. They had a death grip on us. And so Paul says, hear the gospel, dear friend. Look at the cross. Look at the tomb. Does the story of Jesus not tell you the story of your life? Does the cross not speak of your own complicity and captivity that you were dead, hopelessly, helplessly following, following, following? And then the empty tomb. Does the empty tomb not speak to you of, and listen to the language Paul uses here, of God's rich mercy, of God's great love, and God's surprising grace? Here it's almost like he breaks into song. He just wants to worship. Does the place, dear friend, Paul seems to beg us, where they laid him, the place that knows him no more, not cry out to you that you, believer, now sit in the heavenly places above all authority and rule and power? You. Does the wind in the garden not whisper of the new creation in you? The Holy Spirit creating in you a new way to walk and therefore a new destiny for your life. You see, the cross tells him about what we follow, but the empty tomb tells him about God's disruptive grace. You were following, but God. You were following, but God. These two words, grace is breaking in. These two words, but God, changes everything. 
You know that day uh, as a child at the street fair? I had no idea how lost I really was until I was found. Until somehow my mother caught up to me and pulled me up into her arms. My pulse had been racing, but I was a little boy and I didn't know what I didn't know. When she held me in her arms, that's when the tears began to flow and I could feel her heart pounding against my little chest. But God, amazing grace. You see, I'd walked away from her. I'd followed a stranger. But she didn't abandon me to my lostness. She didn't say to herself, oh, that snotty little boy. I told him to follow me closely. He deserves what he's got coming. He, he's somehow dispensable. I mean, there are others where he came from. I've still got his little sister, right? She didn't think none of that. No, in desperation, she walked and walked and walked and retraced her steps and all of my steps. She followed me into my lostness until there in the depths of the brokenness, she could sweep me up into her great love, into her rich mercy, into her surprising grace. And that's the kind of grace that makes us want to unfollow everything else. You know, in the early days of Christianity, Lent was a big deal. Uh, and it culminated with three vows. Uh, the 40 days were 40 days of preparation for, for new believers, for those who had said yes to Jesus. And they were baptismal candidates, and there was this kind of intensive training that led up to Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, these baptismal candidates would stand before the minister and all the witnesses at the water, and they would turn towards the west, the sunset, where the dying things are going away. And they would offer three renunciations. They'd say no. In answer to three questions put to them by the minister, and the minister would say this, but by the way, this rite is preserved in the Anglican prayer book from 1962. The minister would ask, dost thou renounce the devil and all his works? And she would say, I renounce them. Dost thou renounce the vain pomp and glory of the world with all covetous desires of the same? I renounce them. Dost thou renounce the carnal desires of the flesh so that thou wilt not follow nor be led by them? I renounce them. And when those witnesses would hear those words, they would remember their own baptism. They would remember their own renunciation and the great promise of but God. Because the truth is that those who follow Jesus have to keep on unfollowing these same three influences, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The but God is once for all. But the follow me keeps coming. There's something around me that says, follow me. There's something above me 
that says, follow me. There's something within me that says, follow me. And if you're a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ, what you'll say when you hear those messages, what you'll say is this. You'll say, I once did, and I might today, but God, but God, and you're going to unfollow so that you can walk in a new direction, in the newness of life that the Holy Spirit gives you, in the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You're following him. And now, you're part of the resistance. You're unfollowing in order to follow Jesus. Let me ask you in this moment, do you, do you feel resistance in your faith? Do you feel it? If you don't, it might be something wrong. If you do, it might be hard, really hard. But there might be something right because you might just be following Jesus. And, and, and even if you're only in the place where you're just still thinking about Jesus, you're not sure what you really believe about him. You're considering Jesus, but not following him yet, and that's okay. Whoever you are, I want to encourage you to walk with us over these next 40 days. And would you be willing to wrestle with these three questions? I'm going to put them on the screen one last time, and, and I invite you to take a screenshot or pull out your camera right now and take a picture of these questions, pull them out of the chat, write them down, whatever you need to do, so that you can keep them in front of you for the 40 days of Lent getting ready for Easter. Who or what is leading me? Where am I going? Will I want to get there when I do? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Wow, what great love with which you have loved us. You have followed those who unfollowed you to the very depths of the grave, into hell itself, to grab us in your arms and to pull us into the heavenly places, a place of great privilege, authority, blessedness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray now that you pour out your Holy Spirit in a fresh way upon each one of us individually and all of us together as a church, UPC, that we might be the kind of people with the courage and strength of Jesus Christ welling up inside of us to say no to those things that will take us where we don't really want to go. More importantly, where you don't really want us to go because you know what's best. We trust you. Pray this in Christ's name. And in it for his sake.